Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 705. Guys, uh, what do we have for the Nerdist Community Corp I feel like he's going on a bit of a journey. It's also full of local references, so everyone will be mad. Uh, this guy, Corey Darcy, or Darcy, is uh, just moved to Los Angeles as part of following his dream. That dream involves working for Ripley's Believe It or Not. I, be- I don't believe it. Well, you should. Why? Because uh, uh, Corey's part of it. And so he's real. He's corporeal. Oh, not. I want to... Uh, well, actually, this all fits into this. So he moved out here to become a general manager of the one on Hollywood and Highland that has the T-Rex with the sunglasses on right now. Yes. And uh, they're having, like, low attendance, so we've got a hookup for Nerdist fans. If you mention Nerdist at the gateway, you know, to get into Ripley's, they are going to get you in for the kids price. What? To all Nerdist listeners. Okay, okay say this. You could either just mention Nerdist or you could, or you could say, uh, uh, say this phrase. Nerdist has decreed that I am a child <laughs> and therefore wish to pay a child's admission price. Corey, this is what you wanted. Just remember that this is going to happen every Nerdist day now. Nerdist has decreed so... that I am a child <laughs> and therefore demand to pay the children's admission price. Believe it or not, I hope it is the former. <laughs> please do that. Yeah, please, uh, as loud as possible with all those staccato stops. And if you could add a, a, a suck in before the or not for bonus, believe it or not. Uh, you know who's on this episode of the podcast? Who? Paul Rudd with a double D. What? Yes, double Paul D's Rudd in? is finally on the podcast. Oh, Ruddy. God damn it, he's delightful. I hate that he is five times more handsome than I thought he'd be and funnier than anyone I've ever met. So great. <laughs> oh, yeah, this was uh this is promoting Ant-Man, which is uh wonderful. It's so good. You know, if you if you're a little fatigued from like super blow 'em up superhero movies, uh, this was a really nice, intimate kind of a heist movie. I'm really and, uh, excited. Ant Man was really great. Uh, Lydia and I saw it at the premiere about a week and a half ago, and uh, so I highly recommend it. Comes out today. You can go see it in the theater today, being the 17th of July. I might go do that. We're some, I don't care about your life. Oh, I don't want your life. <laughs> I don't know. I still. Say- <laughs> Why are you, James Vanderbilt? I'm so glad you got that. <laughs> it's Varsity Blues. You can't forget Varsity Blues. I don't want your life. <laughs> the best was the trailer. Whatever. Well, Brown, we're just doing sit-ups, debating what college to go to. And that was really Friday Night Lights before Friday Night Lights, yeah. right? Except yeah. way dumber, <laughs> like and kind of terrible. <laughs> was it? I so long ago. I went to the premiere of our. Did you? Blues. Of course you did. Of I course did. you did. That that came out right in the height, that sweet spot of where I watched MTV and was just like, this movie, Cruel Intention, one, seemed really it was important. One of the few premieres that I got invited to. So even though it was a sports movie, I went. <laughs> it had not a surf's popular in the trailer. I remember yes. a lot about Varsity Blues. Yes. Oh my God! Amazing. I'm so <laughs> glad that you got that reference. Maybe I, I do want your laugh. <laughs> Wait, I got my own Netflix. Okay, I'm back to not wanting your laugh no more. I don't want your laugh no I like more. the idea that he just says that to everyone until he finds someone whose life he does like, then he kills them and takes their life. I have a grande frappuccino. Oh, I want that guy's laugh. <laughs> <laughs> this stupid skinny caramel macchiato was a bad call. <laughs> I don't, this is the most I've laughed about Varsity Blues since the 1900s. Uh, so here we go, Nerdist Podcast number 705 with Mr. Paul Rudd. And his laugh. I want his laugh. Katie, roll the thing. I want your laugh. I want your laugh having to roll the thing, Katie. I can't stop now. I don't want my own laugh right now. Now entering Nerdist.com.
I just didn't want to. I, I mean, like, I figured, you know, I, there was a second I was like, I'm going to go say hi to Paul. And then I was like, everyone has that thought. And I don't want to. Not at all. You, I, was, uh, I was bummed that I missed you, but I knew I'd probably be seeing you today. So that's okay. First of all, I loved the shit out of the movie. It was so much fun. Oh, man. It was so much fun. I think it's such a. I think one of the things, besides the fact that it's hilarious and and you know, and everyone's great in it, and and I thought Peyton did a great job. It it's coming off of Avengers. It's such a like Avengers is so heavy and so yeah. so intense and so explosiony, so huge in scope and scale. Yes, yeah. That it's nice just to have like oh, it's like a it's like a fun heist movie, but he's but it happens to be a superhero and everyone's funny. Right. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I I I thought it would be kind of like a nice antidote to all that huge, massive explosions in the sky and all of that kind of thing. And yeah, it was. I'm glad that you you dug it. Have you seen? Had you seen it a bunch before? It was the first time I saw it. Are you serious? I saw an early version, but it was kind of before the effects were in. So then last, yeah, last night was the uh, really like the first time I saw it with with everything, and that was a kind of a unique way of seeing it. <laughs> but it was cool. I, I, you know, it was it was. It was really great. I was there with my kid too, so my son who's ten. It, oh, so did and he'd he... never even I'd never he'd never even seen me in a movie. So it was really yeah, not one. No, no, not one. Um, he's never really ha- shown much of an interest, and I've never had any interest in showing. Me <laughs> uh, but this one was kind of like in his wheelhouse, and you know, and it, and he was really. Saying he wanted to go to the premiere and everything, and so I think you need to be the kind of dad that forces your son to like you. Basically, every night is you doing an anthology of your career. It's like <laughs> you know, it's like this is a, yeah, Tan will be like DVD commentaries. We watch. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. I remember when we were doing this scene. He's just dad. I'm gonna go to the bathroom. I, well, just five more minutes. Hold Sorry. on. All right, this just this is an important scene. <laughs> the thing you have to understand about Clueless is that it's actually the story of. This other of, of Emma, yeah. which we're going to watch next, but we'll fast forward through that one because I'm not in it. But when we get back to Clueless, <laughs> you'll see the comparison. Oh yeah, that's actually I meant Jane Austen, but it, but it's uh, you know I I actually was at the Clueless premiere because I was working at MTV at that time on the beach. Yes, on the beach. Yes, there we, they did the yeah. whole thing on the beach. Yeah, and it was the Luscious Jackson played. That's right. I, Lu- I was there. That's crazy. It really was crazy. And it and it and and that because that was sort of um, that's when MTV kind of like really aligned, started aligning themselves with movies. Yeah, it was. Uh, it the whole thing was just so you new to me. I mean, I never even like been to anything like that. Um, but like a movie premiere, right? So that was, I I, remember, I just remember we all rode out there together. <laughs> we were all in like a stretch limo. Oh, yeah. a stretch limo going to the beach. Yeah, that's a pretty smooth way to do it. I mean, it's like it's like it's like a prom after party in a weird <laughs> sort of way. We're going to the beach, you guys. Yeah, we're going to the beach, and I just and I do remember like no one really watched the movie. The, oh, you mean at the thing? At the thing, yeah. Because now it's I mean like Clueless is one of those. It, you've been in a lot of movies that are kind of like cultural touch points, like movies that are that are quotable or oh my god, I watched that movie like five hundred times when I was you know like you you've managed to you've managed to find parts and films that are so much a part like like it's dumb luck. No, I don't. I mean, I don't. I I think it could be luck one time, but I don't think it could be luck. I mean, I feel like it's not. 
But like, you know, John Hughes wasn't lucky over and over again. He just knew, you know. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I think some of it is also just kind of meeting up with uh, people kind of at a certain point And then, you know, you never really know what these things are going to turn out to be like or um, – like in the case of something like Wet Hot American Summer where it was just I was friends with those guys. But but also just read that script and thought like this is really funny. I don't know if anyone will, will ever see it. But, you know, that that kind of humor landed and, and lasted. And same thing with Anchorman or, you know, it is tr- – it is and this whole – and the Apatow thing, it is, it is true. I think over time, you know, looking back, it's weird that – and very cool to have been in – Movies where some of the lines in the movies, like you see them on T-shirts. Yeah, yeah, they're just in the culture. They just ble- they just bleed over into the culture, and they're also they're almost like um, uh, secret club passwords. Yeah. You know, like if someone says that at a party and someone else responds with the next line, you're like, okay, now we're in a secret club together. By the way, I love how. I, I just came in and it's like we're doing this now. This oh, is, this is a, yeah yeah we've been yeah. doing this for almost ten minutes. I love it. It's great. Yeah, I literally no... just went to the I went to the bathroom, came back, and then we just sat down. And it's just right in it. Now Hit I, the ground running. I, which, I, you know I know you guys I know I know how it all works here. Well no, but I also <laughs> you know I also just don't want to like I, I hate it I hate I don't like formal yeah I hate formal anything I know I, I would rather have a conversation with someone than have them feel like they're being interviewed. And yesterday on the red carpet. I, which I had nothing to do with the movie, and every interview that I did, people were like, if you could be, <laughs> what superhero would you be? Right. And what, if you could be the size of an insect, what would you? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I just got asked that like six times. Paul Rudd, now, you've, <laughs> has, you've opened the door. That's part of, this is part of your existence now. So weird, you know, I th- and it's like, I, yeah, it's the same question over and over again. And you would think... Knowing that, even knowing that beforehand, I would have formulated some kind of answer <laughs> that's gonna, that is going to be the right thing to say. Or and I just don't. I don't think it through. I and I there's there's also that thing of just wanting to answer uh, the same question differently, so you feel mm-hmm. as if like okay, I want to be present in this right. thing, and I don't want to just kind of regurgitate the same stuff. But sometimes I feel like even just the way that interviews are in general over the course of a career, all I've done is just regurgitated the same stuff. <laughs> and I don't even know if I buy it anymore. I don't think I don't think half of it is true. Sometimes I'll go back and I'll I'll think, okay, this has kind of been the answer. I gave this answer once and maybe I just kind of believe it now. But that's not that's not completely accurate, and and I don't know what's true anymore, or it's just I've I've become a just a, a you know characterization of myself. Well, it is. It's sort of a strange. It's just sort of a strange thing to have to. I mean, I, there I, I can't think of other occupations where you would sit down. Like if you know if someone was like. Um, a manager of a grocery store, you wouldn't be like, if you could be any piece of produce, what would you, you know, like, <laughs> to answer that, oh, yeah. I'd be lettuce, you know, like, there's no, and, and I started doing this thing where I knew I was going to get asked the question over and over again, I knew I was going to give the same answer, mm-hmm. because I had this weird crossroads in my brain of, well, if I give different answers, does that nullify the previous answer? And then, so... But then am I an idiot if I if people just see the same answer over and over again? Right. So the more I answered it, oddly, the more I deliberated when they would ask me. So by the sixth time I knew I was gonna say, 
why it would be a combination of Wolverine and Spider-Man. And I would still go, oh, man. Um, what would it be? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I got to say, I really like Wolverine. But, you know, Spider-Man, like, I always have it. Like, it got more complex. You're bu- you were actually bullshitting <laughs> yourself even more. Completely. And, uh, yeah. You don't want to offend. You don't want to no. feel like you have that answer already on deck. <laughs> no. Chris Hardick, what are you? Wolverine and Spider-Man. Are yeah. we done? Like, I don't want to. I'm opposite. Like, you know, it's funny. I've actually, I, I was asked that same question, like, a week ago. And I just, I, I, I was maybe like, you know, back then I was thinking Wolverine and Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. It, but then someone made me address the mechanics of it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess every time I would go to shoot webs, um, claws would rip through my hands <laughs> because the mechanism to fire both things was probably the same reflex. <laughs> and then it would just be a lot of like, oh, fuck. And I would have to heal before I could You'd shoot. You'd have to figure out some new technology to yeah. make that coexist. Yeah. It wasn't well thought Do out. Do you have – now, because, you know, you are a funny guy and it is part of your – I think in your DNA, do you like to – you will sometimes say things just for the – to entertain yourself yeah. as an answer or something and has it ever gotten you in trouble? Do you think – do you think uh, – do you ever sit on an answer because you know it's just so inappropriate? That you- yes. Yes, but I also find that um, I think one thing that I'm – I mean I'm knocking on wood. One thing that I think I'm strangely good at is – is not being threatening. So if I say something, right? I just from having done stand up for almost twenty years, I know a lot of times. Even if I even if I know it's kind of going into a zone that maybe it shouldn't go, that uh, there's enough of a tether back that someone's not going to feel like they've been cold slapped with a complete, you know, yeah, yeah. And especially now, of course, you know that just what happened during the last press tours and then it's so tricky i mean now it's there are so many outlets uh and and sound bites they look for sound bites that even a thing that isn't it isn't even a thing yeah. it isn't even a sound bite it isn't it's like a throwaway comment that could be the third comment of a of a bit that's been going on that they will seek that out and try and make it into a story that just kind of catches on. It's so tricky now. Tonight on Entertainment Tonight, Paul Rudd says Hitler is rad. No, I was. Uh, I'm not. Sh- uh, yeah. Like, there's no way to. Back yeah, it's, and then you could say, and then you could say, like, well, I, I mean, I only said it because it is true. Hitler's kind of rad, and then you, and then you know, you clearly the the joke is there, but the joke doesn't come across in no. print. No, but I think I think people like you and I have it a little bit. Easier in the sense that people like people ought to, they know you're a comedy guy. In addition to being an actor, they know like okay, well, Paul, and they also know that you know like that you're good at playing the character who can say something ridiculous very straight, and it's funny. And so I think people do expect that from you. And when you have that context, because when you see some of the stuff that gets dissected now, you go, well, you know, if you just watch an episode of South Park, there's like things that are a million times worse but right. people have already contextualized that as like yeah but that uh, but that's their thing yeah you know yeah so i think it's I, context yeah i hope i hope it's uh i hope you're right in that that uh, <laughs> did you that I, I maybe i'll be let off the hook a, a, a little bit because they know that i've just you know it's i give a lot of jackass answers maybe. well i think that in the in the old in the older days of media i think you know like watching someone in the public a lot was a little bit like a tightrope act and now i feel like there's still the tightrope act but then everyone in our culture is going oh yeah 
Oh, he's got a bell. Look at him, fucking idiot. You know, like now, true. now there's a little bit of that too. So it's, I mean, it's people kind of want to be the thing that tips it. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this amazing because I don't have time to sit down and read a book, so I have to listen to it just in my car. But uh, this book by a guy named John Ronson called "So You've Been Publicly Shamed," and it's all about just the culture of shaming that we're in now. And, right. And it's yeah. really fascinating. It's really aggressive. It's very... <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but you're so likable, though. I, I feel like you'd have to say something really bad for people to... I don't know. You know, when I, I'm in... I'm having this thought as we're talking about this. I, I think back to, you know, these... The first press junket I, I was ever a part of, like this premiere thing you were talking with Clueless, I was at a round table... They call them round tables mm-hmm. where there are all of these journalists sitting around. They ask questions and no one knew who I was, nor should they. I was like the first movie that ever came out that I was in and um, and I was self-conscious and I felt bad that all these people had to spend their day asking – like spending – like with a kid asking questions. But I remember there were – there was one guy who – was so visibly bored and didn't want to be a, there and a part of it. And um, somebody had asked me the question, well, now that you're part of um, a big Hollywood movie, are you going to go and hit all the Hollywood hot spots? And, uh, <laughs> and I just said, no, I don't think so. Probably not. Um, and, that, and it was the, right after the whole thing with Hugh Grant had happened. Oh, wow. And some of the, one of the other journalists had said, Oh, so you're not going to be uh, uh, going out with uh, Hugh Grant anytime soon? And they, and everyone just kind of chuckled. And I said, very straight faced, uh, "Oh no!" But you know, I think I've used that whore before. <laughs> <laughs> and no one like knew how to how to like no. There was no. People were like visibly like, what the hell did the I just say? Just went Completely. <laughs> Except the one guy who was bored the entire time looked up to me and kind of smiled. He got the joke and it was like, all right, that's the only guy I, I care about. And, now, and I think like now, you say that now, which I just said it now, <laughs> um, it, that like would just be, that would be every, like over. over. Yeah, yeah. Over. Would, that would be the worst. It's that thing of just say that the thing that seems unsayable, just say it. I mean, a, I think on the on the one hand, you know, I, I mean, when when people make joke, when people make jokes, if they don't land, it's it's unfortunate that our culture doesn't have the ability to just eye roll a little bit and go like, okay, wise guy. Now yeah. it's like, strip him, stir him down, hit him with the hose. Yeah, there's a there there really is. A, I, I feel bad for comedians that are. Although it seems like most comedians don't care, like uh, they, they get, no, they do care. They do care if they're getting if they're getting kind of publicly uh, exoriated over Absolutely. something. Absolutely, someone that, just the, 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 the was it the Guardian? Someone just dug up something from Amy Schumer and said she's ra- you know like it basically called her a racist uh, because she did a couple of old there are a couple of old bits that she had that were about Latino culture and. Uh, she got called out for that, and it was like they dug this thing up, which I get. I mean, I, I don't know. Was, and she had to. She wrote a whole thing like, I haven't. You know, I, these these are. I haven't written a joke about race in over two years. Um, I'm a comedian. I I take I take I try to take the piss out of things. I'm not. You know, like I'm a feminist and I work for equality for everyone. And I'm not. You know. Uh, and she had to def- defend herself yeah. basically. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about 
jokes is you could joke about what's you're not supposed to joke about so that we can all laugh and it not be so uh you know taboo and it's hard because if you you know if you break down anything <clears throat> there's something horrible at the seed of it which is sort of why you know so people go oh so it's funny to make fun of you know, whatever, of someone who died in a fire. No, like yeah. it wouldn't be literally funny right. to go, you know, but this I is would argue you're actually doing the opposite. You're actually doing a public service by, you know, bringing this up and, and making people identify with it and have an actual conversation. And uh, yeah. And also, you know, like my dad died of a heart attack. My grandfather died of cancer. I, my stepfather died of a heart attack. If someone comes into a room, they're like, Hey guys, don't have a heart attack, but I'm not going to go, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, same thing. My dad died of cancer and the, the way that I deal with it, the way that I grieve, I mean, it's awful. I miss him like crazy, but I say the worst stuff, like really bad, (laughs) really bad things about him and about cancer (laughs) and Uh the fact that he is dead Mm -hmm. and it makes me, it makes me laugh. Yeah, I've it's it's I've had, and I feel like I get to own this joy. Where if I'm in a room and someone says something and blah blah blah, your dad, you know, your dad, dot dot dot, and I'm like, oh, my father who died, you know, like it's just I can't help it. It just, and and I think he would have thought that was funny too. Absolutely, you know, he would have. So it's and I and I feel like there's there's something that's very natural about about owning the tragedy that way because obviously. I don't want my father to be dead, but he's dead. And, and, and the, the, so what else am I supposed to, what, you know, like what else can I do with it to process it? He wouldn't want me to be just sad in a room all the time. Of course I have those days, but it's, but it's, it kind of feels like, oh, yeah. you know, this is part of a, it still, it helps me feel connected to him to be yeah. able to. Yeah. Cause you of, could say that and you could just see him laughing at that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and, and, and stand up when I, when I talk about his death, if, if there's a piece that people don't laugh at, I go, well, you're disrespecting his memory right now. <laughs> you know, and it's fine. How dare you? How dare you? He's dead and he deserves <laughs> right. better. You know, <laughs> he's not alive. How dare you? And it's, it's just a fun thing to, it's just a fun thing to be able to do. Of course, yeah. I would prefer that he's here, but he's not. So it, I, I'm I'm glad that first of all you know uh, uh, it, it's great to meet someone else in the dead dad club and also not great at the same time. Right, right. But it's it's you know it is uh, it, it, that is interesting. There you do when you find that kind of commonality where it's like you get weirdly excited where it's like oh sweet your dad's dead too (laughs) right on how did your world fall off of its axis (laughs) okay it's gonna be a bummer for a while and then funny for like a week and then it'll be a bummer again and yeah i mean it's i i do uh, i i do i do hope people understand that it this is part of the grieving process how we deal with horrible things in the world and and i feel like it's a wonderful mechanism that our brains have because if we it's didn't the best if we didn't have this you would there's so much tragedy you would never get out of bed you would never be motivated to and do truly like laughing like legitimately finding something funny and laughing is the best thing in the world it's the best thing yeah yeah and and the fact that it, it also makes me feel like i'm i feel safe with that too there's something that makes me feel more comfortable with the idea of death and I tell people like, uh, you know, when I when I die, please do ridiculous things with my body because I will be dead and it won't yeah. it won't it won't matter, you know. And so it's I think it's a I think it's a much healthier relationship than like, hey, I mean, I wouldn't comment on someone else's experience, but I feel like I can comment. This is how I deal with it, 
and fuck you if you don't like it. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. When did you lose your dad? Um, we'll see. He died like I guess like uh, six, almost six years ago. I guess six yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. And was it? So a- I, I, that's I mean long enough to know that I had to think about it. That you had to think about it. Yeah, it does get. Yeah, mine was almost two years ago, and that's very weird because I feel like. If there's a part of my brain, the part of your brain that doesn't understand time, yeah, it's like, oh, he just, oh yeah, no, it's been a couple of years. I feel like two years is the timeline. It's that's the time span for anything to get used to anything. I'm like still if a you, death noob. Yeah, no, you're just now getting out of it. I remember when my dad died. I talked to another friend of mine. Uh, and I, you know, he, my dad had been dead for about a week and, uh, everyone, and no one knows that. Yeah. He's a, he was a week down and then, um, and then people don't know how to, they don't know what to say to you. No one knows what to say when you, when somebody has died, they don't know how to deal. And some people do. And, um, but I just remember my friend Matt saying like two years, he put a time limit on, it. he goes two years, you're going to be sad for two years after two years. You're going to be able to think about him, and you'll still, you'll 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 be happy. You'll you'll smile at the thought of him and yeah. not just cry. And he goes, and you'll you'll never get over it, but you will get through it, and it'll be two years. And I feel like, all right, there's that kind of makes sense. And I feel like it takes like if you move somewhere, it takes two years before you feel like that's your home. Maybe it's just yeah. two years is the time frame for anything. Two years, yeah. I I I to I, adapt. I would often think eighteen months. Would be especially you know like in in this business that we work in eighteen months is about the time it takes for something to bear fruit like mm-hmm. a thing that you start working on today or a thing that you pitch today like yeah. in eighteen months you'll see the results of it but I uh, uh, in the in the first week after it happened um, uh, do you know Ike Barinholtz yeah uh, so Ike did Ike did Talking Dead and it had just happened like the week I think maybe the week before. And um, he, I ran into him in the hallway before the show, and he was like, oh, man, I'm sorry. Is there anything I can do? And I just grabbed him really hard, and I was like, can you bring my dad back to life? And, <laughs> and, 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 he, and Ike, who's like, I've never seen Ike at a loss for words ever. And it was the first time he was like, um, I, uh, I don't know. He should have just put his lips close to your ear and said, Yes, <laughs> come with me. <laughs> I am your friend. Fu- yeah, you got ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Not cheap. How bad do you want them back? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna cost you. I mean, you'd buy a fancy computer, right? Well, what if that computer was your father? You would spend ten thousand dollars on your dad, wouldn't you? I mean, how much do? What are we really talking about here? Is there a thing? Where they say, like, okay, you can have your debt. You have to give this up, and you have to give this. You cannot have any money for the rest of your life. Right. You will not have a career. You cannot get married or have children. Sure. Would you give that back? Would you give that up for getting your dad back? This, by the way, is the beginning of the greatest game show. What's what's the cutoff? What's the number? So I don't. I can't get a. I don't have a career. Not at all. No career. No career. You have to. And this is what. And not only do you not have a career, <laughs> you have to like the shittiest job. <laughs> What's the where? Where are you like? All right. You know what? He can stay dead. I have to at least. 
you know. You have to be like a shit is- messenger where you go to different doctor's office and just take stool samples to labs. And that's the that's as good as it ever gets. That's, yeah. As good as it ever gets. And uh, And do you and if do you know the answer, but before you give it, do you pause like you're giving your Wolverine Spider Man answer? <laughs> oh man. Uh, let me think about that God, one. God, you know, dad was uh he was a fighter, but I feel like I mean he But really- he lived a good life. <laughs> hey, he lived a good long life. I, mean, I wonder I wonder at, at what point would you start to make the selfish decisions that you would try uh. to make sound like they were more <laughs> altruistic? Like, well, you know, Dad said he never wanted to get like old, old. <laughs> that's right, you know, so like, I think it was. I think it was better that he died at seventy-two because he yeah. just never got old. You know, my dad always said he wanted me to drive an Audi Q7. <laughs> <laughs> he just said. He said the performance package was very important. He really wanted that for me. And, and I feel like I might be dis- <laughs> disgracing yeah. him. And I would argue with him and go, but I don't need seat here in L.A. And he'd be like, but I want you to have It's very like, important. It gets that cold. You have yeah. It's the people think L.A. is just hot and sunny all the time. It's not. You, I, need, you need those seat warmers. It gets warmers. down to like 50, 55 in the yeah. wintertime. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. that's, that's very cold here because we're a dry climate. So I really feel like he would want, he would really want me to have the ultimate driving experience. Uh, if, <laughs> So instead, you'll just drive around, and, you, and you'll, every time you have a warm ass, you'll think about Dad. Mm, I'm doing the thing he would have wanted. I'm living it right now. Yeah, it's <laughs> that would be the most amazing game show. It really are, because like, <clears throat> there, is, there is a cutoff. Oh, of there course is, there is. Like, yeah. and there, and that does exist. There is a cutoff, and I feel like, it, I feel like it, it's way more selfish than most people would want to... Yeah. Admit that it was, mm-hmm. you know. So if, if wait a minute, I can never eat pasta. Okay, because <laughs> what are you counting as pasta? I mean, does that count like Vietnamese uh, vermicelli noodles? I mean, gnocchi is gnocchi. Gnocchi is kind of a pasta. <laughs> I love my dad loved ravioli. He loved it so much. Okay, so if I get my dad back, so my dick never works again. Oh, I mean, he would never <laughs> yeah, want that. That yeah. is, yeah. That's that, that's when the, that's the topic. I mean, that's I, where we go with this. I'm in my early forties. I feel like I got a lot of use out of that. I mean, my dad's great, but he's just going to get older and older and older. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's going to have to die someday. I mean, is it fair that am I getting him dicks, back for like four, three years? Should both our dicks not work for the rest of his borrowed time? Like, it's not fair. Yeah, it's not. I don't think he would want that. That's yeah. a. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is important. This is this is real stuff. <laughs> do you uh, do you have the type of relationship? Wait, I, I would imagine that in your family, you probably can be you can make these. Oh types. yeah, yeah, yeah. I never felt that I couldn't. Okay, yeah. Are, are they all? Is your family pretty funny? Yeah, they're pretty funny. They're pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not get out of hand. All right. <laughs> No, my mom, my mom, my dad was hilarious. No, we lost the funniest guy. Oh, shit. My mom's, my mom Are is. Are you happy now? You're the funniest one. Well, what? My, my mom uh, has always had a good, sick sense of humor, for sure. And uh, would uh, absolutely appreciate the most off-color thing that I could possibly say. And yeah. She'd roll with it. And same with my sister. Uh, and that's that's the that's who's left. It was just the the four of us, and yeah. now it's the three of us. So that I they uh, I always felt very comfortable about you know saying the unsayable for sure. But your parents were British, right? Yeah. So that I feel like that's very much a part of British culture too, is being able to is like oh you've said the thing you shouldn't say. Yeah, they were both very liberal, and they were European. I mean, even though they you know I was born here and they moved 
over. My, I guess my mom left England when she was about 18 or so. And then my dad was nine. So, and he grew up kind of just right outside New York City. Uh, but they had that European sensibility and, and certainly with the humor. I mean, I grew up kind of watching Monty Python and Faulty Towers and they would always make a point of sitting me down and we'd watch those shows when they were on, you know, public television when they were airing. God, I got so lucky because <clears throat> my dad watched Hee Haw and it, it just like well, I did not my dad <laughs> Hee Haw was a show that I would put on and I always say like I it seems like I should like this but I just don't like this. No, it's not good. You know what? I'm glad he's dead. No, um <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it Hee-haw. I don't <laughs> Yes, did it <laughs> Uh, see already, just have the joke that formulates so, like I'm not going to say it because it's about your dad. No, you can. Oh, you can. Yeah, you can make no because then you know the problem with that is that the, the one, the one, um, <clears throat> the one caveat to the whole thing is that it's like I'm allowed to joke about my dad. You're allowed to joke about your dad. But then when people hear this. Sometimes people don't understand how humor works, right? And they forget that uh, comedy is like a broadsword, and some people can wield it, and other people are just like, mm-hmm. and so I'll get people that'll say things on Twitter like, "Ah, your dad's dead," and I'll be like, "Okay, well, then maybe that's not." Maybe yeah, and you, you know, you can tell by also like whoever is saying it, you can, you get their vibe, right? You kind of get a sense of who they are, and it, you could in that split second, you're like. <laughs> Okay, you can say that, but you can't <laughs> you can say, say that. that. You can't. Yeah, I can yeah, tell yeah. in the way that you just are. That you, yeah, you no. can joke about my dad. No, you just yeah, there was a little. There was a little. There was a little bit of poison on the sword there on that when you yeah. said it. It wasn't. Yeah, that, that's what seemed to be lacking in all yeah. kind of humor and. You're compassion. not helping me deal with this in any way. You're just kind of finger pointing and laughing right, right now, which is a little bit different. So he was a hee haw fan. He liked hee haw, and so my parents never. I discovered you know Python and all that stuff. My parents knew I was a comedy fan, so they would buy me all sorts of comedy stuff. But they, but if you know, my dad, my my dad was the one that called me in the early two thousand, and he was like, "Have you seen this blue collar comedy?" Because you are from the south, and I think you'd really appreciate it. And I'm like, I, I feel like it's designed so that everyone has an entry point into what they're selling. Uh, and I could never, like, I could never explain, I never would have been able to explain the UCB to my dad. Right. (laughs) Like there was, it just, it always just sort of, and he was very sweet about it. But when I would try to explain the alternative comedy scene, it always just sounded like none of us get paid. Like, it just sounded like, yeah, "Yeah, we made our own little community and that's how I know. No, it's not that, you know, it never sounded, never sounded right. I was really lucky. I think that as a kid, I just... Remember sitting around listening to two thousand year old man records, and my dad had a Bob and Ray record. Oh wow! Listen yeah. to, and so I I took to comedy pretty early. It's I mean I'm not a comedian, and I don't do stand up, and I didn't study sketch at like UCB or Second City or any of that. But I've always been drawn to comedy for sure, and uh, and I I wonder like why. And it maybe had to do with moving around a lot or having European parents and not, you know, feeling like always feeling maybe a little bit on the outside, really trying to deconstruct what it is that I loved about it. But I was obsessed with comedians and I would obsess about comedy. Yeah. Who did you like the best? I think, um, I think Steve Martin, Steve Martin, you know, when I was, uh, I was just of that age when those records came out and just seeing, 
you know, hearing this guy talking for a living and being a grown up telling this absurd stuff and then the jerk and all that. I was obsessed. Just love. Yeah, me too. I'm two years younger than you are. So I'm in the same. I find that he's kind of the he is the common ground that so many people of our generation. And and the thing that I've noticed about a lot of comedy fans, it's uh, he's the lightning rod that those records and that wild and crazy guy persona and all of that was were so instrumental to so many people. I mean, I, you know, I think that I saw Carlin perform a few times and I think Carlin might be my favorite, favorite. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, as you know, as an adult and I loved him growing up too. Um, and I loved so many different comedians. Uh, but yeah, that I think that, I think that the Steve Martin records were probably the genesis for a lot of it. Have you me. worked with him? No. Have you never, have you ever met him? I've met him, but I, I, uh, I've never had any kind of uh, real conversation just because um, I don't want him to feel as if he needs to talk to me. Right. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? So I, that's why you show up to the thing with the bunny ears. I just, and the white, the white I just say, I say hello, and he's always been very nice, but I don't, I don't really try and engage. I just, you know, because I'd like to give him his kind of privacy and yeah i've been dealing with so many fawning fans and, oh yeah yeah, yeah. You know. I, I mean and i've had I, I fortunately had a very good groundhog day moment with him which I, I know i've talked about on the podcast before but i did i met him 12 or 13 years ago at the aspen comedy festival and i did the ultimate thing that i shouldn't have done you're all the reason i you know and then he shut down and then uh <laughs> <laughs> and then and, and so but i but i also have I also have the comfort knowing that he'll never remember that. Right. So I met him again this year for a minute, and I was much more like, "Hey, nice to meet you." And I was, and I totally, I got a do over. Right. And I felt really cool about it. Yeah. I mean, I have friends that are very friendly with him and know him, and and you know, everyone really likes him. I have what, the coolest thing that I think I have is, um, just to backtrack a, a second, I when I met Judd Apatow, I was at a dinner, I was talking about fake names, and I said one of the greatest fake names of all time was Gern Blanston. Gern Blanston. And I then got really boring and broke it down as to why that's a great fake name. But uh, <laughs> but one of the people that was at the dinner said, oh, that explains Judd Apatow's email address. And this was like when people were first getting email. I'd never met Judd. So I just went, I think all there was was AOL, and I think I went home and just typed Gern Blanston at AOL and, and, and wrote Judd a, a letter, and then he, he wrote me back. And we were kind of pen pals for a year before we ever even met. That's amazing. Anyway, I told that story, and I want to say it was in uh, the New York Times or it was on a, in a newspaper. When Born Standing Up, Steve Martin's book came out, and I bought it the day it was came out, and I read it you know, in one sitting, I, I mean, it, as so many people did, uh, in... That week, in the mail, I got a, a letter, a, a, an envelope. I opened it up, and it was that book. And I opened it front page, and it said, To Paul, um, with respect, Steve Martin, and in parentheses, Gurn. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I had a Gurn Blanson screen name, too. You did, too. I did, too. Yeah. You go deep. <laughs> I did. I had a, a Gurn Blanston was one, and then Nathan Thurm, which was a character yeah, that Martin, Martin Short, Short played. A brilliant yeah. character with the long cigarette <laughs> ash. Well, you, you, I think using, it's so funny that you would say that. <laughs> you're, you're the one who's nervous. Yeah, I'm not nervous. Yeah, I'm not nervous. <laughs> 
It's so funny that you think I'm nervous. <laughs> uh, and I love that. I love that in the sort of the Justice League of comedians, it, it, it brings me so much joy that they are friends. Yes, yes, great friends. I love seeing all of those, you know, shows where they're honoring each other. And, and Martin Short always gives some killer speech and just roasts them, and it's and he can get away with it. God, he's he, he's. He is so. I mean, some people can write funny, and Martin Short is just. Oh, he he fucking, just breathes just and exudes like, funny and joy, and he is in just the rarest of rarefied air. Martin Short is a uh, a national treasure. How can he be that? Even though he's Canadian, yeah. He lives here I now, know. I think he's. I think he's a world. He's a global treasure. He's he's a treasure and a traitor. Uh, for not being from America, mm. but other than that, uh, he's really great. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. He's from America's hat. Oh, here come the fucking tweets now. <laughs> I don't. Know. I'm just kidding. We're just kidding. Please, if you were gonna get mad at me, madder at me about that than me talking about my dead father. Fuck you and your dead father. Canada rules. Oh no. <laughs> A like this is gonna be. This is gonna be really shitty. Did you? I I wonder sometimes if. Because because you are an actor, but you do so many things that are so strongly comedic, have you ever felt like when you go to do something more serious that people are just kind of looking at you like, when are you going to do the funny thing? I feel like now yeah, uh, it's a maybe a bit more of an uphill climb than it ever used to be because I never – you know, before Anchorman, I would do some comedies here and there, but I did a lot more serious stuff and then Anchorman was a bit of a – you know, tidal shift. I then met all those guys and I was able to kind of continue in that world. And I love comedy. Um, and I, I, I think it's, I think I've probably been typecast to a, you know, pretty good amount. And I, and let and, and I have never really gone the Daniel day Lewis route of really <laughs> trying to be completely different from role to role. Call me Ant-Man on the set. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, not that I have the talent to be that different from role to role, but I, but I've, I, you know, it has been a fairly narrow window. I, I recognize that over the last 10 years. And you just, so you just made me yeah. think that if, if Daniel Day Lewis was in a superhero movie, if he played like Loki or something, mm -hmm. if he would make everyone call him Loki on set and only talk to people <laughs> like this and carry around that thing. This, all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, get there early. Get there early. Wasn't it? Was, on the, was it on the uh, um, uh, Crucible where, yeah, he showed up to that set, I think a month early, built. The set, he built it. That <laughs> <laughs> around whittling and doing things, and it's just God. That is su such commitment. I mean, but the undertone is like, don't be a dick. Come on, you can just show up and act. You know, like, and he's amazing. I mean, that's the thing. Is the greatest you know actor we have, right? I mean, I really think so. I'm a huge fan. I, I remember. Thank God he's not terrible. No one would tolerate. I remember. That. Uh, uh, Nick Heitner, who is now the artistic director of the National Theatre in London, is Sir Nicholas Heitner, who directed that movie. I worked with, uh, uh, not long after he did The Crucible, we were doing uh, Twelfth Night at, at uh, Lincoln Center. And he I was asking him questions about Daniel Day-Lewis because he had worked on The Crucible. And, and he said, uh, you know, he's telling me all the stories about, yes, he did come there early, like how method he is. And how wonderful he is, and what a great guy! And his—he's a, a huge fan of Paul Schofield, who was in the film. And Paul Schofield showed up, and 
was looking at his script and saying the lines and saying <clears throat> the lines like, well, John, what do you say now? Well, John, what do you say now? And, just, and, and thinking about how he's going to say the line, he said, the look of horror on Daniel Day-Lewis's face. <laughs> just the guy he admired more than anyone. Like like a newscaster. the opposite approach <laughs> to what he did. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, he goes, I'll never forget the look on Danny's face. But then, of course, he would have had to have been conflicted because if Daniel Day-Lewis was in his character for the movie, then he wouldn't understand what that was. Oh, yeah. There's so many layers to this. So many ways to poke holes in that. Oh, boy. So I would never. This just doesn't sound like a fun job to have to just completely immerse yourself in a thing and have to be in the. When I got out of acting school and uh, was just, you know, in that mindset of writing out everything, you know, all my character's bio before I did everything and like going to the location. I, you know, you're learning. I mean, I really was trying to learn the best approach and learn my technique. I'd always hear about technique and I didn't have a technique. I I don't know if I still have a technique, but all of that sounded so romantic and so interesting. And that's the way to approach the work. And now I'm just like, oh, (laughs) I'd much rather just go home and watch TV. (laughs) You want to spend some time in the Ant-Man suit? Yeah, yeah, you know, I, uh, look, I get it. Just tell me where to stand. Just, I just, I just want to go look at, uh, House Hunters International and Zona. I take the work just as seriously. I really do. I want to be just as good in the part as I could possibly be, but I don't think I have the, the concentration, wherewithal, uh, ability or interest to sub- <laughs> just immerse myself in that world as to that extent. I don't think you could do it without. I mean, I, th- I think it would have to be. A, it's you'd have to be an incredibly selfish person because it would mean shutting out everyone else in your life. Yeah, and yeah, not, yeah that's and not being o- open at all. I mean, like I'm going into this weird emotional cell, and you can't come in. For I wonder. Months. How much is true versus how much is reported to be true as well? Know. Like, are they really like those, you know, the ones that are really hardcore about it? Are they? I heard one time Daniel Day Lewis fucked a puppy to death. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, that's not funny. <laughs> My father was a puppy. <laughs> he got fucked to death. It's not cool. Uh, but uh, yeah. I heard this story where there's and there was this uh, of an actor I won't name uh, his uh, who it was, but that he worked in this way and was playing somebody who was mentally retarded, who mm-hmm. actually had a learning disability, and spent like a month <laughs> before shooting just oh. walking around his neighborhood or was just ever acting like he was. Mentally retarded, mm-hmm. and, at, and at that point, do you say, "Dude, just me- just memorize the lines"? <laughs> you know, that just—is it offensive? Is at it that point you is say, it "Just look, Giovanni Ribisi, would you please?" You said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. Ding 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> taking... <laughs> My brain did this 
incredible CSI thing where it started cross-referencing every movie versus every actor that I would perceive would would be capable of doing that. (laughs) And it like that was the that was where it went. And like if I had been like a 1940s like automat computer, it just like a card would have spit out. (laughs) And uh, that was amazing. (laughs) Might be rumor. I mean, we don't know. We don't know for sure. We're not a hundred percent. We don't know. But it does. It does take a lot of. It does take a lot of energy, and uh, and, and also it. It just. I don't know. It, it, like that to me. M- maybe maybe there are deeper psychological issues that where, where someone feels like I got to escape into this. Yeah, and you know, and there's also. I mean, on the flip side, certainly, you know. M- have no there's no one way of working there's no one way of doing anything and i completely respect anyone's approach to do what it is that they do to the in the way that they uh need to do it i mean certainly you know the proof is in the pudding that these guys are uh incredible actors they really are so uh are you feeling good do you feel uh do, do you sort of feel the weight and enormity of the fact that you know that you will get to be this character for a while now i mean or does it feel kind of comforting no, it feels all kind of new and just starting because people are seeing this thing now. They're just starting to anyway. Yeah. And beforehand, it's all just been, you know, in the abstract. We were shooting this thing, and it's like people would say, how does it feel to be in the Marvel Universe? But I didn't really feel like I was. There weren't any other people around. We were shooting this thing on its own. And then I went and worked on... Uh, Captain America 3 a little bit yeah. and then some of the other Avengers were there and then it was oh wow this really did it felt different and it felt real in a way that hadn't felt as real until that moment but now um, you know we had this premiere last night and the whole street was shut down and um, it's relative it kind of comes in in doses and uh, it's very exciting but it's you know it can I suppose it probably could be a little overwhelming if I stop and think about it for uh you know a few minutes kind of meditatively did you was there any point where you pinned down Michael Douglas and said tell me what it was like to be famous in the 70s because I always just think of like that was the ultimate time you to be young great, and yeah. famous there were no rules about yeah. drugs or sex or it was just like everyone was doing everything and fucking everyone and it just it just sort of seemed like yeah, that was uh, the time, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, to kind of, kind of uh, be, yeah, to be to be an actor at that time and have that kind of what a what a fun just be like a, be anything a at that young time, right? handsome, you know, like everything right. Like there was no no social media. Yeah, no one's gonna find out about anything. Like it just seemed like a it was that, a golden age. Yeah, yeah, it must have been. <laughs> right? I mean, it really must have been. You find that a lot of those guys, and I have worked with a few, uh, where it's like, oh, they'll tell you stories. Yes. And, th- and like, when they do, you just kind of notice w- people stop working, even in the background who aren't supposed to be listening. <laughs> it's just like, you know, they want to hear about just crazy stuff from the 70s or, uh, yeah. It, and, uh Ah, oh, it must have been awesome. We were shooting on this playground, and I put eight ladies on a merry-go-round and <laughs> spun it really fast, and they all just tongued my balls in a circle. What is are you talking about? And they'd bring over bowls of cocaine for everybody. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had cocaine bowls in those days. They had a bowl of cocaine at the craft service table <laughs> in those days. I bet 
they did. Everyone was given guns. <laughs> Especially the kids. <laughs> God, it's just such a different... I don't know. The world's too delicate now. I think the world's slightly too delicate now. It is... Uh, yeah, every, it is that thing, the the like that book you're reading, and uh, everyone's a little... Sp- Plays it a safer. There's a political correctness. Everyone's being watched. Everything's, you know, being recorded and documented. And there are so many outlets now for things. It's uh, it's probably uh, less fun. Yeah. In general, I mean, not just for this, but like in life, in 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 a way, I think there's uh, to, to be so kind of tied in and observed and knowing that everything is just documented and people are documenting their every move. Um, yeah, a certain quality of life has been lost. That's why George, when I say George Carlin was my favorite comedian and is my favorite comedian, uh, that was a huge part of what he talked about, this kind of – it takes the edge off. He had that whole routine about shell shock. And how over the years it was had been documented and until finally it turned into post-traumatic stress disorder. You don't even know what it is. Shell shock. You got an idea. Like it, the, the description was in the word. Right. If maybe it was still shell shock, some of the soldiers who were suffering from it could actually receive some of the benefits that they so deserve. But, uh, you know, he would break down that kind of stuff and, and – and it makes a lot of sense to me. I think Carlin in today's world, if Carlin were coming up now, I think he would have a tough time. Because I think... Oh, yeah. I mean, I, like, it's changed so much in the in the time that he died. I mean, and, you know, he died... I take... This is weird that I take comfort in this, but I do. George Carlin, Paul Newman, and my father all died in the same year. And it's it's like, those are my three favorite guys. And they all died in the same year, and there's there's something nice about all of them going out together. And I feel like, you know, my dad loved Carlin, too, for those same reasons of just, like, yeah, he tells it like it is. Yeah. And uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know what that means or what, but I just, I like it that they all kind of, they all checked out together. There's like, because you, you, in your mind, you can go like, ah, they, you know, like, they were kind of a group. Like, they, yeah, they were, they were yeah. sort of a... I mean, it's like, yeah, well, I guess when it rains, it pours. Yeah. yeah. All three of them said, all right. We're done. <laughs> Fuck you, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> You're on your own. <laughs> and I'm taking Carlin and yeah. Newman with me. Yeah. Carlin, <laughs> Newman, you're driving, obviously. <laughs> well, this is uh this has been so great to have you on the podcast. I I I just you know, every time I every time I see you, I always go, Oh, that Paul Rudd's such a nice guy. I wanna hang out with him more and so I, I you know Well, same here, Chris. I, I it's been great being here. I, uh, uh We're um, doing the thing tonight. We're doing a little yeah. periscopy thing tonight. We're gonna hop in a van and drive around and uh and take there's a, there's an Ant Man screening tonight at the Arclight. Oh, okay. And so uh we're gonna we're gonna just I, I guess just general uh fuck aroundery. Great, perfect. Yeah, it'll that's be good. the best. That's the best kind of fuck around here. I think is the general kind. <laughs> I don't like to get too specific with fuck around. No, here. no, no. Just like to keep it as broad as possible. Yeah, yeah. Like it gives you just more room to fuck around. <laughs> that's right. Don't box me in. Yeah, this is like, I don't want to get in a kind of like very specific. Yeah, specific fuck around or no, 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 no. It's just well, it's, I feel limited. Yeah, I don't want it. It's it's lowest common denominator fights. It's the hee haw fuck around or uh, <laughs> it's, 
if that's if that's a possible. God damn you, Dad! Why did you do that to me? I still and I still have old hee haw sketches that play in my head, and, like to my utter disdain. Like, why are you still in there? No, once it gets in there, it's in there. It's it burrows in there. Maybe someday I'll be comforted by it and go, Ah, hee haw! They really knew what was up. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon. Uh, Paul Rudd, wonderful to see you. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. The end. Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.